So welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the Psalms. We've entitled this series, Worship in Technicolor. And so as we draw this series to a conclusion, we want to return to this idea of worship. We've been talking about using the Psalms as God's prayer book, but really the Psalms primarily were written as God's hymn book, as God's worship book. They're songs. And today we read one of those songs, Psalm 121. And the title of this song is Confidence in God. Confidence in God. This psalm was written by a pilgrim, most likely a Jew who did not live in Israel at the time, but probably lived in another country in the Mediterranean, who made the long journey from his country to Jerusalem. For every Jew was commanded to come to Jerusalem for the three major feasts every year. You're aware of Easter? Well, Passover occurs right around that time. So they would come for Passover, for example. And as they would they make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they would sing psalms or songs to the Lord. And because Jerusalem is up on a hill, and you always go up to the temple in Jerusalem, these psalms are called the Psalms of Ascent, as you're ascending. Some say ascending the steps into the temple. Some say ascending the hill, climbing up these rocky hills in Jerusalem and in Israel to come to worship God. It was a very dangerous trip. It was a trip where you had to put your confidence in something or someone. You had to trust someone in this long, dangerous voyage. And some of them had trust issues. Do you have trust issues? Do, do, you, do you have trouble putting your confidence maybe in someone or something because you're afraid they're going to let you down because maybe they have let you down? This psalm addresses your trust issues. It addresses your confidence issues. Where are you going to place your confidence, my friend? Where? And if you have trust issues, why do you have them? What's at the root of your trust issues? I mean, if we're honest, don't we all have trust issues at times? We're thinking of a long journey, physically, like this pilgrim, or the journey of life. For you see, this journey that the pilgrim is on in Psalm 121 is simply a metaphor for the journey of life. It can be rocky, it can be difficult, it can be dangerous. If you're a Christian, you're on that journey to worship God, but along the way there's plenty of rocks upon which you can stumble. Plenty of ways that you can stumble. And you're asking God, who will I trust? Who is going to help me? And God inspired this psalmist in Psalm 121 to answer that question. He actually begins the psalm with that question. Look at it with me. Psalm 121, verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Can I ask you that question? Where is your help going to come? For whatever it is you're thinking about right now that you need help. Where is it going to come? Is it going to come from your bank account? Is it going to come from maybe some person that you read about? Is it going to come from your own abilities? Is it going to to come from your own strength? Where is your help going to come? 
That's the question here. When we're on the journey through life, it's a difficult journey. There's rocks. There's places to stumble. Where where will our help come? And here we have the answer. God gives us the answer through this beautiful song, a song of ascent. Let's read it. Psalm 121. You can read it silently. I'll read it out loud. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. From where does the psalmist's help come? It comes from the Lord. From where does your help come? As you journey through life, a life that can be both difficult and delightful, a life filled at times with joy and despair, filled with faith and the next moment, fear, peace and suddenly anger, clarity, and then the storm clouds roll in and confusion, a life of right living as Christians, and then suddenly Sinful living. It's unexplicable. We do things, we just, why did I do that? A life of great success and horrible failure. Of dreams realized and nightmares lived out. Where can you find help at that moment in this journey called life? Help to navigate the pathways of relationships, singleness, marriage, parenting, career, school, health issues, spiritual issues, even the end of life, death itself. Hear God's voice this morning in Psalm 121, telling you that he will help you on your journey, a journey he's actually laid out for you. And hear his call to put your confidence in him alone. That is the main point of this text, Psalm 121. Put your confidence in God who helps you. Put your confidence in God who helps you. And in Psalm 121, we have three reasons to put our confidence in God who helps us. God gives us three clear-cut reasons. Write these down. Why you should put your confidence in God. And in God alone, ultimately, and unconditionally. Reason number one. Confidence in your Savior. Remember, the, the, the pilgrim here in Psalm 121 is going to worship God in the temple. And listen to what he says in verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Certainly these hills to which he is looking are the hills around Jerusalem. But, oh friend, the hill to which he is looking is the hill, the hill of the Lord, where God dwelt in the temple, where God made a way for that pilgrim, being a sinner, to approach God who is holy. He is looking, don't you see it? To God, his Savior. Hence, he says, my help comes from the Lord. 
See, our confidence is primarily in our Savior. Is that your focus? Put your confidence in God who provided for you all of the temple sacrifices to which this pilgrim was going are fulfilled in the hill of the Lord. That hill is called Calvary. For Jesus Christ on that hill gave his life to fulfill all of the Old Testament sacrifices. By his blood, we have access to God, Christian. We put our confidence in our Savior. It starts with knowing that I am saved from the wrath of God by the blood of Jesus. I put my confidence in God. Hence, I can confidently come to God. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 on the screen. New Testament, fulfilling the old. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is speaking of Jesus. Verse 16 is the key. Let us then with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christian, you have every reason to put your confidence in Christ, your Savior, who has helped you with the greatest need that you have. What is that need? It's your need for rescue from God's wrath against your sin. It is your need for a way to come into his presence. That is through the blood of Jesus. He is your savior. Put your confidence in him. The text we just read, verse 16 again on the screen. Then let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. The throne of judgment has become for you, Christian, a throne of grace. And for you, non-Christian, it is still a throne of judgment. But I appeal to you by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, repent and believe. For this throne of judgment has now become a throne of grace to those of us in Christ, so that what? We may receive mercy, oh, we need mercy, and find grace for help in our time of need. Your Savior, Jesus Christ, is a very present help in your time of need. Put your confidence in him. Reason number two, to put your confidence in God, because he's your creator. Confidence in your creator. The psalmist's confession of faith in verse 1, my help comes from the Lord, is followed by a statement of who God is. He is the creator who made heaven and earth. God the creator is the only one who's ultimately deserving of your confidence. He's the only one who will always meet that need for help because he created you. He knows you. God knows you and he rules you just as he rules every creature, every molecule, every inch of his creation in his providence. Now this is a very important concept. This is a concept that you need to understand as a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, I want you to listen carefully. Providence, rightly defined, means the following. This, on the screen, a quote from Jerry Bridges. God's providence is his constant care for 
and his absolute rule over all his creation for his glory and the good of his people. Hebrews says this about Jesus, Hebrews 1.3. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That's a key phrase. Look at that. Sustaining all things. That's providence. God's power to sustain what he created by his word. Jesus is the word. After he had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. God created you. God knows how to sustain you. His word, Jesus' word sustains you. But what's even more amazing, it is Jesus' word that created you. Listen, Christian. You are created in Christ. He gave you a new heart. Just as we dedicate little Isla this morning, who God gave life to this little girl through her parents, God gives us as Christians new life. He is the creator of the new heart we have, and he's the sustainer of that new heart that we have. Therefore, God who created you will keep you. Do you believe that? It gets tested though, doesn't it? But it's true. Jesus is the one who sustains all things by his word. He created all things by his word. He created you by his word. If you're not a Christian this morning, oh man, I I appeal to you. Listen, you're in trouble. Because you're under God's wrath. Rightly so. Because when God first created man, man chose to rebel against God. And at that moment, God said, I will judge you with death. And you receive my wrath. But right at that moment, he said, but I promise to give you a savior, Jesus. Therefore, the temple existed. That's why the pilgrim was walking all that way to go to Jerusalem. Because the promise of God of a savior was found in that temple through all those sacrifices. But that wasn't the ultimate promise. For a thousand years later, Jesus comes and Jesus is the sacrifice who gives us life. So non-Christian, there is your savior. Put your confidence in him. And I pray that he show you that, that you would repent and believe this morning. And dear Christian, there is that savior who's our creator. We have life because he gave us life. He didn't give you new life to abandon you. Even if Julian and Jerry were to abandon Isla, which I know they won't. Even if a mother were to abandon her child, God will never abandon his children. He sustains you because he gave you life. Where do we see that? Where do we see this idea of God sustaining? We see it here in Hebrews 1.3, back on the screen. Jesus Christ, the exact representation of God's glory. Jesus Christ, the one who sustains all things by his powerful word. His powerful word's coming to you right now. In Psalm 121, written a thousand years excuse me, 3,000 years ago, but it it sustains us. Because when I'm in trouble, when, when life is difficult, when the heat of the sun is beating me down, metaphorically speaking, I say, oh God, that word sustains me. You created me. You're my creator. You will sustain me by your word, Jesus, the risen Savior. Oh, Christian, your life, past, present, and future, is sustained by Jesus Christ, therefore, put your confidence in him alone. Third reason to put your confidence in God. He's your protector. 
He's your protector. Confidence in your protector. Verse 3 is a very interesting verse. Look at it with me. He, God, will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. This word keep comes from the Hebrew, shamar. If you have a a Spanish translation, La Biblia de las Américas, it translates that word in verse 3, guardar, which means guard. If you have an NIV version, it translates that word watch. And if you have the Holman Christian Standard Bible, it translates that word protect. Those are all the range of meaning for that word. That word is used five times in verses 3 through 8. Look at it with me. Verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. You there? Verse 4, behold, he who keeps Israel, Shamar, will neither sleep, slumber nor sleep. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Jump to verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. In verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. The, the psalmist here in verse 3 is walking up, he's stumbling up this rocky hill. As a matter of fact, I have a picture of that rocky hill for you. Lots lots of stones, maybe at night, it's easy to trip over them. And look what he says in verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. He will make your feet secure on the rocky path of life on which I'm walking, pilgrim, 3,000 years ago. And the rocky path of life that you're walking on right now, where there's lots of stones to stumble over. Will God provide for me? How about this health diagnosis I have from the doctor? Am I going to have that career that I desire? Lord, I, I, I desire a relationship, a marriage, but there's, there's no one there. Lord, I'm having trouble at work. Will I have a job on Monday? God, what about my family situations? There's such strife between my brothers and sisters and, and uncles and aunts and, and cousins. Lord, I, I, I'm stumbling here. Where are you, God? And what the psalmist says in verse 3 is, God will not let your foot be moved. God will keep your foot secure on that rocky terrain. God is the one who promises this. Do you feel like you're stumbling right now? Where are you tempted to stumble? I mean, it's obvious for some of us, right? There's a serious health diagnosis. Maybe it's not so obvious for others of you. It's a quiet stumbling. No one really sees it. You're desperate, though. I mean, you're stumbling. It hurts. You know, a little child stumbles and skins their knee, and you know, you're trying to comfort them, and they're crying. But then there's other stumblings. It's not just a skin knee. You, you get in a massive tra- traffic accident. You're lying incapacitated in a hospital, metaphorically speaking. God is there to keep you. And the promise in verse 3 is that he will not slumber and he will not sleep. Listen, verse 3 says that God is on it 24-7. All the other fake gods that you would put your confidence in are going to go to sleep at some point. And if you put your confidence in yourself, listen, Junior, eventually you're going to have to go to sleep. Yeah, all right. And that's when the bad guys sneak up on you. Who's, who's going to watch over you when you're sleeping? God. Because he doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. Now, here's where it really picks up speed here. The psalmist is writing, I don't know, first century B.C. And when he talks about God not sleeping or slumbering, 
He's actually reminding Israel of a very shameful part of their past when they chose to put their trust, their confidence, because they had trust issues, in false gods. It it was a time in Israel's history when their king was not serving God. And their king was trying to play politics. And because he was playing politics, he wanted the help of a powerful kingdom around him. And that kingdom served a god called Baal. B-A-A-L, Baal. Very well-known god, small g, in the Middle East. And so that king was saying, worship Baal. Baal is our deliverer. Baal is the one that's going to help us out. And God sends his prophet Elijah, like God sends this psalm to us today, and says, listen, if you're worshiping, put your confidence in a false god in the parentheses or, yeah, quotation marks, the Baal of your life, stop it. (laughs) So he sets up this incredible scene, true historic scene. Where Elijah comes to Israel and says, all right, enough of this. We're going to set something up here. Bring me all the false prophets of Baal who are corrupting my people. 450 of them show up. Elijah walks up. One guy. It's okay. Here's the deal. Israel's watching, right? They're in the Colosseum. Not really. There wasn't a Colosseum yet, but imagine it in your head. Elijah says, all right, here's the deal. We're going to get two bulls. You take your bull, chop him up, get him ready, put him on a stack of wood. I'll take my bull, chop it up, and put it on a stack of wood. And we'll call out to our God. And whichever God is real will come down with fire from heaven and consume this offering. By the way, this is found in 1 Kings. Don't go there. 1 Kings 18. And then he, he says, it's interesting, in the, in, in the uh, historical account, he says, I'll tell you what. Since there's 450 of you, you guys go first. Of course, 450. They're going to be able to chop up the bull, right? You guys have all butchered a pig sometime in your life if you're a Cuban. takes a while, okay? They're going to build the altar. There's 450 of them. One guy, Elijah, right? He's doing his barbecue all by himself, you know? Imagine doing a barbecue, but you've got to first slaughter the cow and all that. And then, okay. So they, they start first, right? And if you read the text in 1 Kings 18, in fact, make this your, your good night story to your kids uh, tonight. Might give them some nightmares, but it'll be good for them. Uh, It says in the text that from morning until noon, the prophets of Baal called out to their God. Oh, Baal, answer us. Literally, that's what it says in Scripture if you go to 1 Kings 18. Oh, Baal, answered us. And then the the word, the Scripture says, but there was no voice and no one answered and they limped around the altar that they had made. And it's like us, man. We just we make these gods, and, and we just kind of trust in this. My confidence is in that wonderful investment I made. Stock market is up. Oh, Baal, answer us. And we're limping around that thing. And then the stock market tanks, right? And my 401k becomes a 201k. Fill in the blank. While you're listening to the story, I'm going to ask you, what, what altar of a false god are you limping around right now? And then Elijah says the following on the screen. And I believe the psalmist was referring to this. He was mocking them. 1 Kings 18.27. By the way, this is proof why Elijah was actually from Miami. He was a Canes fan because he was mocking his opponent here. Verse Kings 18.27. Seriously, there we go. 
And at noon, they've been, they've been crying out to Baal all day, no fire. At noon, Elijah mocked them. It was a right mocking, saying, cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he's relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. See, the psalmist is saying, our God never sleeps. Be done with your false gods. Put your confidence in God, who is your savior, who is your creator, who is your protector. Because God's good for it. Everyone else is going to disappoint you. You will put your confidence in people to include those closest to you, maybe the person you're seated next to right now. And at some point, because they're human, they're going to let you down. But God won't. God never sleeps. There's never a time where the evil can sneak in and get you while God's sleeping. He does not sleep. And he's good. He keeps you. See, see, this is what God said to Moses when Moses asked him, Oh God, show me who you are. He said, show me your face. And God said the following to Moses on the screen. Exodus 34, 7. God said this, keeping, speaking of himself, steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Christian, Jesus takes that judgment of God that's right against sin. Non-Christian, you're in that group right there where God's judgment is on you, but I appeal to you, you're here this morning, thank you, repent and believe. Talk to me, talk to those you came with. What does that mean? God's good for his word. Worship God this morning by putting your confidence in him. Be done with the false confidences. Because only God can protect you. What does he protect you from? Or from what does he protect you? Number one, the most important thing, God protects you from his wrath against your sin. Got to start there. There is nobody, nothing, no created being in heaven, on earth, under the earth, no matter how horrible you might imagine that created being, who is more terrifying than holy God when confronting unholy man and righteously judging his sin. That's what it means in verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The sun by day. We are in South Florida. We understand what it means to be buffeted, stricken by the sun. Have you ever been there? Mowing the lawn, working outside? And it's just, it's punishing you. But that sun represents the fallenness of man. Remember at the fall... When Adam chose to rebel against God, rather than worshiping God, he wanted to be God. And God said, by the sweat of your brow, in the thorns and thistles of this world, you will earn your keep. And right there, the curse came. And we've been sweating ever since. But that curse, far greater than the sweat of your brow and just having difficulty at work or with your business, the curse is God's wrath against you. 
But what the psalmist is saying is that, oh Lord, I trust you as I'm going up to that temple where there will be blood sacrifices for my sins and that blood sacrifice is going to be speaking of Jesus, the blood sacrifice who on the hill of Calvary died to take my sin. He took the wrath of God for me so that now I can know the good of verse 5. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. So when the blazing heat of God's wrath is shining on me, I step underneath the shade of our God. Those of us in South Florida know this well. The the, the coolness, the beauty of the shade of a coconut palm. I, I literally had this experience in Cuba two weeks ago. It was 100 degrees in the shade. There were 14,000 mosquitoes per square inch all on my right forearm. And we were, we, were doing, we were doing ministry. It was so hot. It was out in the campo in, in Oriente, in eastern Cuba. Man, and we, we, just, we literally sat on rocks underneath a palm tree. What a difference. And then literally, one of the Wajiros farmers grabbed a couple of coconuts with his machete, cut them open, and we drank coconut water. Now, that's just a small picture. Because there's no thirst, there's no heat as strong as the wrath of God. Jesus is our shade because he took that for us. Oh, church, put your confidence in him. He protects you from that. But listen, even beyond that, it is a fallen world. There are things that happen to you that are very, very difficult. We can cry out to him to protect us from the heat of people lying against you, people hurting you, maybe even crimes being done against you. Protect you from your own sin in your heart. Jesus protects us from this sun by day. But look what it says in verse 6. The sun shall not strike you by day. We just talked about that. Nor the moon by night. This is talking about lunacy. Losing your mind. Anxiety. Depression. Hopelessness. When you live in a fallen world that the sun is striking you by day. Even as a Christian, I know I'm saved from my sins. I know I'm saved from the heat of the wrath of God. But man, people are sinning against me, my wife, my kids, my co-workers, fellow uh, People that are in business with me open up a business right next to mine and take all my business. There are evil dictators in the world. There's crime. Lord, I'm losing my mind. The moon is striking me by night. Are you there? When no one can see it, but at night, when you're laying in bed, are you wracked by worry and fear, maybe by anger and bitterness? Maybe things have been done to you that are really wrong. You're just eaten up alive by bitterness. Jesus says, I will protect you. I will keep you. I will watch you. I will guard you from being struck by the moon at night. This is the blessing. This is what Jesus prayed on the screen. John 17, 11. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them. There's that word keep. Guard them, protect them, watch over them. He's praying to his heavenly Father right before he's going to give his life on the cross for his people. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus promises. He prays to the Father. He, we're going to keep you. Put your confidence in me. And then verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. There's nothing that can touch you. 
There's nothing that can separate you, Christian, from the love of Christ. Paul picks up this theme. And I believe both Jesus and Paul were thinking of Psalm 121 when they penned these words, when Jesus spoke these words. I believe Paul was thinking of that when he wrote Romans 8, 38 and 39. On the screen, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you, us, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think when Jesus taught us how to pray, he was thinking of Psalm 121. For he ends the Lord's prayer with Deliver us from evil. And I think you can add the evil one. He tells us to pray for the very thing he prayed for, the very thing that he's going to give us. But he says, pray, look to me, be like that pilgrim walking up the rocky hill saying, oh, from where will my help come? So it's a, it's a legitimate question. It's not a question of unbelief. Oh, but, but let your eyes look up to that hill, the cross, and say, my help will come from the Lord. He will keep me from evil. And I'm going to pray that he keeps me from evil and the evil one. Oh, Christian, the Lord protects you. The Lord keeps you. Every second of every minute of every day of every year of your life. That's what it means in verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. That's simply a poetic way of saying everything. From this time forth and forever. That's definitely saying everything. God promises to take you on the journey. A journey that he began, Christian, for you in Christ. New life, your creator. He will take you all the way through to the day of glory. Either the day you die and go to be with him in glory, or the day that he returns and chooses to share with you his glory in Christ in the new heavens and new earth that he creates, afresh and anew. That is why we are to put our confidence in God. Psalm 121 addresses your confidence issues, friend. I'll put your confidence in God. He is your savior He is your creator. He is your protector. Your trust issues are ultimately with God. See, the question is whether you'll lift your eyes to his holy hill, Calvary, and see your Savior hanging there for your sins, see him delivering you from the wrath of God, providing the shade you need from that heat, whether you'll lift your eyes to the tomb and there see Christ risen from the dead, claiming victory over death itself. Lift your eyes to the ascended Lord Jesus right now, who sits at the right hand of the throne of God as your advocate, your great high priest. He is praying, interceding for you right now, Christian. And put your confidence in him. For he's given you now the throne of grace that you can come to confidently and receive mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. There's only one true safe place on all the earth. And it's in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord and King of all the universe. Put your confidence in him and him alone. Christian, you know this place. Believe your faith. Trust your Lord. Live in the shade of his protection and care. And non-Christian, I beg you again, run to that safe place. 
Put your confidence in God, the Savior, Christ Jesus, the Lord, Creator, Protector. Repent of your false gods and your pride. Humble yourself before Jesus Christ, who is Lord and God. Let us pray. Worship team, would you please join me up front? Father, I pray that you would pour out your spirit now to comfort the Christians here in this room who are struggling with trust issues. There are things they don't understand and things they don't like that are going on in their life. There are petitions that remain unanswered, at least not answered the way they had hoped for. There are legitimate threats along the journey of life that they are facing, places where it's really easy to stumble over the rocks of sin, both internally, externally. Father, would you minister to them grace that they would put their confidence afresh and anew in you, God. You are their savior. You are their creator. You are their protector. You will keep them. You will watch over them. You will guard them. Pray that for parents who are crying out to you for their children. Lord, you have them. You have them. May they trust you in that. Father, I pray for the non-Christian that you would give them grace. Lord, may there be conviction, perhaps for the first time ever, that the gospel would be clear and they would see, oh, there is a savior, a creator, a protector. Lord, give them grace to run to you, repent and believe. Lord, we trust you. We want to sing now, Lord, as a, a means of confessing our trust. Lord, whom shall we fear? For the God of angel armies is always here with us. Lord, you never sleep. You never slumber. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Now as we make a profession of faith like that psalmist and trust you. Oh God, hear our prayers. Hear our song as we sing it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing that song. Whom shall I fear? God of angel armies.